X's for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody and welcome back to Exodus for Podcast, the show where we take a look at all of the adventures of Marvel's mutants through their many titles each week. I'm Nico and you guys can find me online at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N on Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget to give the show a follow over on Twitter at Exodus for Podcast. And today we have a pretty King and Black centric episode for you. But first up, Maddie, Arturo, and Evelyn take a look at Ben Percy and Josh Kassara's incredible X-Force 16. This was a lot of fun to edit. They take a look at where the series has been, where it's going and everything in between and we hope you guys enjoy hey guys welcome back to another episode of this is x on x is for podcasts as part of the cage club family of podcasts i'm maddie and as always you can find me over on instagram at the basically covetous man and over on twitter at basically covetous and with me today i have a fantastic crew hi guys uh marturo that you can find me at mr toy box on twitter and instagram and we are joined by the one and only evelyn hi i'm evelyn the com- Comic Canary. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at comic underscore canary. And we are joined together today in in part to cover X Force number sixteen. Uh, we we actually got a little bit of coverage of X Force in the beginning of our cable coverage this past episode with Josh, Kyle, and Nico. Just a little too uh, a little too excited to get moving. Uh, but of course, as always, we have Benjamin Percy writing. We have Joshua Casara on art. Color is Guru EFX. Letterer is VC's Joe Caramagna, and design is by Tom Muller. In the wake of last issue's event on the beach, Beast and Cecilia Reyes are quick to diagnose the source of the infestation, a metastatic offshoot of the island itself. In other words, a Krakoan tumor. Domino and Black Tom fend off the last of the invasion while X-Force assembles Forge, Wolverine, and Quentin Choir to seek out the wreckage of the USS Siege, find the tumor, and assess the impact on the environment around it. Outfitted with Forge's Krakoan tech, the crew descend into the Pacific to discover that the cancer has taken over a host of ocean wildlife. Wolverine comes eye to eye with the Leviathan, Namor begrudgingly saves the day, and our heroes are left to make a swift escape. How did we all feel coming out of the events of Ten of Swords and coming out of the events of the Russian collusion arc that took over the last several issues of X-Force? To see how things are progressing so differently now, 16 issues in, how did we all feel about this change of pace? It's definitely interesting. Um, it's it's not over yet. The side effects of the Russian arc is definitely still in the background, or at least it was in the last issue. So it'll be interesting to see that. But I kind of like this new pace because I like monsters and gross things. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this was um, this was a little 
unexpected for me. Uh, there's like a couple things. So one, I find it very interesting that the, you know, the antagonist, the, the threat in this issue is a black lifelike goo that is most definitely not a symbiote and has absolutely nothing to do with King and Black, which is the huge thing going on. And it made me think about how time compression really works right now in the Marvel Universe. So that's a thing, right? Because somewhere in King and Black, the whole world is enshrouded in a cocoon of symbiotic ooze. As the as the podcast has affectionately referred to it, it looks like a yarn ball, but also the world has been quote unquote nullified. Uh, I do love that. I actually love the mention of the Krakoan tumor affecting its host with this goo being a almost a foil to the events that are going on in King and Black, though we are not seeing at least as of this week, we are not seeing the events of King and Black bleed into the events of X-Force, which personally I'm thankful for. I don't know how you feel. Well, it's almost like the X-Men sometimes when they're not even, maybe it's not even intentional, but sometimes it's like it rhymes what's going on in the rest of the Marvel Universe. So before we had the Empire crossover and all the, you know, plant creatures come and invade Earth in the pages of X-Force, we saw plant life kind of becoming like a new potential threat in here now we have this black lifelike evil goo cancer situation that most definitely has nothing to do with null so i just found that interesting i i'm actually just relieved that after ten of swords after this whole big crossover and called it all that nonsense with the swords we're now allowed to get back into new stories and just move forward like one of my big fears for sword was that it was going to get embroiled in in king and black and so far i like how they're handling that um i like that if there has to be some x-men uh, uh, you know, involvement that it, it's limited and it's not like all of Krakoa is is in that mix. So for me, this was great. This was like a nice change of pace. It wasn't Russians. It wasn't Dracula. Thank God. It, it was just a new threat and a different direction. And I think it was a nice way to showcase different team dynamics. I think there were a lot of really great character moments in this. What were some of y'all's favorite interactions? So I'm going to preface this by saying I love the cuckoos and the my favorite cuckoo is Phoebe. So seeing her interaction with Kid Omega in this was beautiful. And I'm like so proud of her because the rest of her sisters are like just banging cable. And she's like, no, I'm going to do my own thing, whatever. And I can't get enough of it. <laughs> I love that. I love it so much. I'm right there with you. I think it's very cute that you have so much affection for Phoebe. Um, the only cuckoo that I think I ever really imprinted on was Esme, you know, because she was kind of like the bad girl or whatever. I love their involvement and I love that they have specified now like Phoebe is with one. And I love the little proud uncle moment with Wolverine and Forge just grinning like apes <laughs> looking at Quentin. <laughs> and he's like, what? You know, so cute. Like, this is good family content. You know what I mean? This is like the Krakoan mm. era. This isn't the Summers family, but this is like X-Men acting like family. And I am here for it. I actually, it's its so funny. I just looked at my notes and I have written down, talk about proud uncle moment with Wolverine and Forge. I love that you said it that way too. Yes. I, I couldn't because it literally, it literally says proud uncle because in my, in my heart of hearts, Wolverine is Quentin Quire's adopted father. Yes. And so given the avuncular relationship between the two of them, you know, in that sense, and and the the playful, you know, 
egging on of one another between Wolverine and Forge, that's very brotherly to me. So I was like, okay, obviously it's just, you know, proud dad and uncle has to be. I love it. I love it I so love much. It. I love the dynamic. Um, involving Quentin Quire on this team was never like a big sell for me at the very beginning. Although I do love the character. I was just kind of like, huh, that's a that's a, an interesting choice. But it's, he's grown on me, you know, and I, I'm ha- anytime he's in an issue and he doesn't die, I'm, I'm happy to see him survive. <laughs> Wait, he didn't I, die, right? It was close. It almost he almost died, but he didn't die. I I I love that and I all I can all I can think to say is that, you know, Quentin Quire dying and now of course the the solidifying element of this aspect in his relationship with Phoebe, you know, these are now running threads and themes in X Factor and across 16 issues, you know, that is that is very, you know, tremendous. For us to see as an anchor, because otherwise the book seems to be struggling with establishing its central narrative, you know, from skin grafted soldiers and matryoshka monsters, uh, from vampires to Russian treason, it is certainly a book with a broad focus. So, you know, once again, we find ourselves moving very quickly into another brand new thread. And it still is, it's localized around the idea of being a, a threat to the inhabitants of the island which seems to be the only recurrent theme in X-Force currently, right. almost 20 issues in, you know. But I I definitely love where it's going. I said last last time that we covered X-Force, uh, Evelyn, you were with us, of course. I, I said that I really wish that this Vine story was going to be what we picked up on, and it delivered oh, in yeah. that sense. For sure. Like, I'm, like I mentioned, I'm a big fan of just big monsters and scary things and new storylines and... And this like really hit a lot of check marks for me because it's dark, it's creepy, there's biology, it's <laughs> well and wait, and we have to we have to address that. Like it's dark and creepy and it is absolutely beautiful. I mean, not to like beat a dead horse, but goddamn Josh Kasara is just masterful. Like he has such a good grip on what Krakoa looks like and feels like, and his books and his art just has uh just a really distinct tone to it that that it's very immersive. I don't know. I, I you feel like when we were sinking into the ocean, you know, with Wolverine and it got all dark, it's like it just hit for me so good. I I had to go back to I know from listening to this week's cable coverage, Josh has been reading this book with his son, uh series contributor Josh, and they particularly love this issue, particularly the introduction of Le- the Leviathan. And I have to agree, the introduction of the Leviathan really blew my mind in a way that I just kept flipping back to that eye. Like I cannot, and not to just restate, you know, what we've already covered, but it's it it really was uh, something incredible. And Josh Casara is is growing tremendously with this book, and I hope he sticks around for the longevity of the book's tenure. But if he if he leaves, I will be very excited to see what project he moves on to next. And I want to do a shout out to Guru EFX because wow, those colors are also just stunning. Because the way that the the green in the helmets mixes with the blue of the abyssal zone it just really stands out and the way 
way the colors just graduate and graduate not graduate gradually what's that word gradually yeah gradually yeah <laughs> the the graduate whatever it is you know what i mean i'm not Gradient. an art art person but the colors are just gorgeous and they're really well done and i think it really works with getting the whole like creepy vibe yeah when quentin started making a telekinetic harpoon gun oh my god like i was mm. just getting my life down there like and yeah the the pencils are beautiful but the the color just really brings it to life and when they started firing the magnesium you know the, the flamethrowers underwater that was really cool and then of course the big entrance with everybody's favorite dick from the ocean submariner <laughs> namor he made quite the entrance made it very clear he has no interest in joining krakoa anytime soon which is something i'm particularly sad about i like when namor was part of the x-men i like when he was on utopia i like when mutant kind and the atlanteans had some common cause uh i have to admit i am not a hundred percent clear on what has happened with the rest of atlantis pretty much after they were associated with the x-men and utopia they just fell off the map for me i have no idea so i don't know if namor is just king of the fish or if he has people or if they have a place or if they are you know wanderers at sea i have no idea do you guys have any insight on the current status of namor the submariner that would probably have that hinges on Evelyn's knowledge of the Atlanteans. I, I, I am not reading anything <laughs> currently. <laughs> so, oh my God, I feel bad that I'm not really reading his stuff right now. <laughs> I was going to wait for the trade, but just by going to the comic book shop weekly, I see on the covers yes. that he's been fighting Conan. <laughs> That's I'll the only insight that. I have is from going to the comic shop. <laughs> I'll take that. That is really hot. I can, I, can, Conan. I can feel the sexual tension of that without even looking at it i just oh, you feel it yeah okay <laughs> so well they, now terrible. now i'm interested in figuring out what's going on with namor because I, I i really enjoyed him back in those days when he was with the x-men i enjoyed although i was very angry about it when at the time when he hooked up with emma frost uh at this point in the krakoan era i would love to see him kind of be friends with benefits or you know just i don't know somewhere on krakoa maybe somewhere with the marauders something but uh yeah i think they took the opportunity opportunity with this issue to say that is not happening anytime soon so i'm sure uh you know that that'll be a story that we'll get to at some point namor remains uh you know an unknown quantity out there what so, so um i i have the opposite opinion <laughs> i'm sorry arturo i keep doing this to you no it's good I, it's good it's good I've this is what this is the whole of point of us he's not great he's not great he's an asshole he's, i, he's I introduced him as, exactly. as the Dick from the ocean yeah he's no, a yeah, great a asshole dick. he's written fantastically as a dick but like i'm just i'm glad he's not going to krakoa because he just annoys me <laughs> i might be i'm like i said i'm definitely gonna read the trade when it comes out about um his uh single title right now but oh i don't want him in x-men right now <laughs> Look, we don't we don't yeah. have we don't have quicksilver on the island we don't have pietro maximoff we definitely have room for an asshole and namor oh, i think would be that. would be a good one to have and oh. you know what now i'm doubling down namor for quiet council actually listeners let's talk about this as we are recording we are in the midst of or on the eve of the great vote online where we will all be voting for uh the last x-man to join the new roster and i just would like to take this 
moment and this soapbox to say, I have seen so much forged slander on Twitter and I am not having it. I think this issue of X-Force is a perfect illustration that Forge is a great character. He's in good hands right now with Ben Percy. He's he's just wonderful, goofy, uncle energy. And I love Forge. So please change your minds about Forge. Don't hate on Forge. What has Forge done to you? <laughs> well, you know, to jump back to Namor for a minute, you know, Namor raises a moral concern uh, in this issue over the symbiosis between Krakoa and its inhabitants. Who is the parasite and who is the host? Of course, referring to the effect on the Krakoan tumor to the environment around it. Uh, over a year into the era of mutant sovereignty, how do you feel about the relationship between the island and its inhabitants? I love that moment when Namor said, you know, Xavier using Krakoa or is Krakoa using Xavier? That was just a really good turn of phrase. It definitely, it made me hit the brakes for a second. Like, huh, I never even considered it the other way around, you know? But yeah, I I don't know. It's incredible what they're doing with the whole concept of Krakoa, but I think there are still so many unknowns that, you know, you'd be foolish to think that that this is going to last forever and that everything is hunky-dory because, you know, definitely something, something is going awry in the background somewhere. I really love Krakoa and the way Krakoa is being written as well as of course his relationship with Doug and it is very curious to see people's different relationships with the island how some people see it as just a home. Some people have a more intimate relationship with this sentient being Uh, obviously they all want to protect it and like we said earlier it's so great to see this kind of family, found family being seen in just every single issue you in title right now you know and i think i think in that regard i was having this conversation earlier today and i think that officially in the house and powers era and the era that's come after of course through dawn and rate of x I think that retroactively, Krakoa needs to be classified as Omega-level mutant because it is literally the mutant, the living mass that is now sustaining the life and livelihood of the entire mutant population or nearly the entire mutant population. And I think that beyond the, the, the blooming flowers into medications, the, the synthesis thereof, I think that it's really something incredible what Krakoa is able to accomplish. And I think that I I personally am still waiting to see what the psychological effect is of living on Krakoa. X-Force in its early in its run was exploring, uh, in my opinion, the idea that Krakoa makes life for its inhabitants easy and so forth, it makes them soft. And so in that mm. sense, I wonder how much of that is the island itself feeding off of the psyche the collective consciousness of its inhabitants but that's you know that's that's for another day (laughs) that's a really interesting thought last episode evelyn you were a part of the discussion and we we tossed around we kicked around the idea of where the the metastatic offshoot what became the metastatic offshoot of krakoa came from what it was we originally thought it might have been of origin from terra Faraday. we thought that it might have been you know from from another place entirely it turned out that our our final theory our collective theory that it was itself a tumor was what proved to be true so evelyn you must feel a little bit proud of that you know not to pat ourselves on the back here but um there must have been something about reading that and going yep called it i mean for sure i was i was almost glad that it wasn't like like we were talking about earlier a symbiote or anything so it definitely feels good to be like hey we got it because it was left kind of as a mystery with like little easter eggs to follow but easter eggs no breadcrumbs (laughs) 
little breadcrumbs to follow. And I I think that that was what Percy was trying to do. Like, I feel like as a writer, he did that very cleverly where he's like, he didn't tell us, but he's like, he gave away some hints and such for us to try to get. So I think it's really cool that we were able to get the hints that he left for us. I think it's really interesting that uh, that neither Cypher nor Krakoa nor Black Tom, like none of these interfaces that we have. Oh, it's interesting that they didn't mention Mondo or bring Mondo in just to get his uh, his take on it. But in that data page, I thought it was interesting that there was no, you know, uh, hint or, or awareness of uh, of an infection. So it kind of like just happened, you know, silently, which makes sense. I mean, that's, that's how cancers work, right? I would like to just note, let's go to our Dark Beast watch, which is in my mind, a big clock that is ticking down to the inevitable reveal of our Dark Beast. And I would like to just note for the record, listeners, that it took Beast exactly eight panels, eight panels of studying this infection before he was already considering how to weaponize it. To quote Dr. Ray's, don't even. <laughs> don't even. I know how, like, they can read his mind. It's <laughs> She saw his little squinty eyes and she's like, this motherfucker, are you serious? I, well, two things. So first off, I think that the dark, I imagine that the dark beast clock is just blue and furry. So like a literal blue furry clock in my head uh, is perfect. But I, you know, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I, the first thing that I wrote down, sitting down and reading X-Force 16 was, how long do we think it will be until Beast weaponizes the tumor of Krakoa? You know, but, but that said, is there, is there any conscionable way? And this is going to sound terrible. I'm literally talking about weaponizing cancer, but is there any conscionable way that you could see the potential for this weaponized form of the metastatic offshoot to benefit the island itself, you know, or or rather, what message does that send from the country developing the world's rarest medication? Ooh, that's something I didn't even think about. Oh, I want to like see if there's like any DNA changes, anything that could affect the effectiveness of those flowers and drugs. And I'm going to make a heavy prediction right now that it's obviously not gone. Like leaving it to Namor to get it done, I think was almost stupid. Like it's not gone. I'm calling it right now. It's not gone. It's going to pop back up. Maybe not next time, but eventually within the next i'm gonna say five issues it's gonna pop up again yeah well like wolverine says now i ain't gonna be able to sleep right until i kill it dead you know i mean there's there's something down there and uh and yeah i I think until he sees a body wolverine this is going to be wolverine's Mm -hmm. you know quest you know i i have so many questions this this issue had a lot of lead up on land and then we finally got into the water of the pacific and it just opened up a wealth of 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 curiosity in me you know upon arriving at the edge of the trench wolverine finds himself face to face with what he calls a god you know i know i mentioned bringing up uh seeing the eye for the first time but i'd love to hear what your original reaction to seeing that leviathan's so i my head the first thought i had with this and i don't think it's gonna it, it's gonna play out like this but do you guys remember uh from i think it was morrison's run the new x-men uh they were like in the future timeline and there was a character named merrimax who was a huge uh mutant whale and he had either a i think he was, had a scottish accent he was wonderful and he died fighting an army of, of evil Bamps. Anyways, there was a character in an alternate time. 
timeline that was a huge, huge whale. And I would love to see him kind of on Krakoa or or just in the atmosphere of Krakoa. So that was my first thought when I saw that big eyeball. Um, you know, what if it was him and he was being possessed by this thing? But I, the way I understand this is not so much that it's a possession as much as it seems to infect and kill and then animate dead tissue. So basically zombifies, right? So yeah, I, I came out as I hope that is not Mermax because that means he's probably dead. Oh God, I hope not. I'm not familiar with that character, but I cannot, I, I just cannot wait to now immerse myself in what is Mermax so that I can know what it is to have a mutant whale. That sounds charming that sounds as amazing. all get out. Oh, you that have to read that. It's, it's, like, it's like four or five issues in New X-Men. I want to say it's like 150. Uh, I, I'm so bad at the numbers. Nico or, or Josh, I bet, would be able to tell you exactly what number and month and year it was released. Uh, but yes, treat yourself to that story. It is wonderful. And uh, yeah, and, it, and it, it's the conclusion to Grant Morrison's big, big run, which was so iconic. I know what I'm reading when we wrap this up then. So that makes this uh, that well, I was about to say, and that makes this this is X and X is for podcast. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, um, uh, well, I know, I know, Evelyn, you were a biologist, so this is this is all up your alley. You yeah. were the one chomping at the bit last <laughs> last conversation to jump to the vines, you know. So, how do you feel about the the way that we're seeing this? this organism in the Krakoan offshoot how do we you know seeing the way that it behaves is this is this like anything that you can think of that exists in nature that outside of the metaphor for cancer or I have been waiting to talk about this (laughs) we should just have a segment called Evelyn's biology corner so as you guys listeners might know by now I'm a biologist and a nerd Um, my degree was actually in marine biology so this really hit a lot of check marks for me like you guys don't understand so this is to me this is reminiscent of a tumorous parasite it kind of has a tumor qualities but also has parasitical qualities where there is this parasite that digs into like ants and starts controlling them and forcing the ants to do stuff that benefits the parasite so that the parasite can just continue to multiply and just do whatever it wants and this also just kind of reminds me of the way that viruses work. Viruses on a molecular structure, they basically take control of the cells or the organisms and force them to stop doing whatever their function is and do the function that is most beneficial to the virus. So while this definitely has like tumor-like qualities, it definitely seems more parasitic and more virus-like to me because when it comes to a a cellular level with tumors, which again, I'm not assuming that like these writers know about that i'm just the person that took classes on it (laughs) i mean they very well could they could i I would not put it past benjamin percy to have a fleeting interest in marine biology (laughs) but but yeah so cancer the way that it works on a cellular level is it basically makes uh cells reproduce at a quantitative rate like a much faster rate and they become very disfigured and not working properly because they are just forced to be chaotic so it's more chaotic
like where this seems very intentional to me the way that it's working which is why i'm thinking like virus and parasite because it is infecting these other creatures and forcing it to do its work so it could easily be a tumor that creates parasites and can be a mutant within itself like Rakoa. so i just loved everything and the fact that this is in the abyssal zone which because i'm a nerd and know that shit like uh, oh um they're like at what was it like 6.6 um kilometers like 6,600 meters which is in the abyssal zone and the conditions there are so extreme that it's it's just insane where the it, the pressure the salinity the temperature is just at extremes and the creatures that live there have to really evolve to kind of move slowly and grow slowly so it's interesting that this thing has gotten so big and that's something that I thought was really interesting that someone said earlier about how it's been slowly showing up and that really fits with it being in that zone in that deep undersea area where creatures do grow slowly um, to fit into that environment and the fact that it has survived in such a harsh environment means that it is strong and powerful and is definitely not going to give up easy but that being said creatures that live in the abyssal zone can't survive above the abyssal zone like anytime people try to recreate like conditions within laboratories to try to keep them alive it just doesn't work like literally fish will explode when you bring them to the surface so that could just be an easy way to defeat it if that's the case well thank god because look at this horror show i mean like the the fish like yeah it and percy did or not percy i'm sorry kasara did such a good job of bringing it to life because yeah i mean those were terrifying it looked it kind of reminded me of uh of like ursula's cave yeah the little mermaid but like cranked up to like a thousand and just terrifying uh yeah it was, it was so cool so cool it definitely did feel like this isn't just your average sea light sea light Sea life, not sea lice. Cut that out, Nico. Sea lice. Sea lice lice sounds terrible. Uh, Sea lice. I imagine that Namor has gotten sea lice. Yep, and crabs. Well, I was just gonna say, I was, I was literally just thinking, I'm like, what's a pun for like sea pubic lice? Oh no, crabs. Oh, whoops. (laughs) Fucking whoops. Uh, So let's let that make it to air, everyone. I'm just, I'm firing on like fucking whoops um that's that's the new i'm making t-shirts for everybody uh that's that's what the recording experience uh yeah okay like i'm cutting that comedy gold um you know i i think so much and and evelyn thank you so much for for that insight into into marine biology and epidemiology um (laughs) and everything in between i think that that was that was tremendous in helping to form and 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 mold my understanding of the the inner workings of what's going on here um which brings me to a really interesting counterpoint uh to piggyback off of something that you had said you believe that the infestation the parasite is driving the host to perpetrate you know it's its own autonomous action right so in that regard sure we can say that the ocean wildlife infected by the infestation were attacking namor but they were really attacking the mutants and this might be a stretch but do we think that there's a possibility that the the krakoan offshoot the metastatic offshoot of krakoa represents krakoa's resentment for the population of the mutant society living on it that's a great question yeah i mean who knows i feel like 
Okay, so you you had mentioned earlier uh, about Krakoa and how it feeds off the psyche of of its inhabitants, right? And like that that's part of the lore. I feel like there is something afoot, you know, and just like it, it's it's impactful when you see Phoebe on these pages, not because she's been such a big character in this series, but because she is part of this shared universe across these titles, right? So they're doing this really good job of creating this this whole era, and it feels like we're seeing in you know, over in New Mutants, we see a little uh, Shadow King shenanigans, you know, uh, our form. And over on X-Factor, but we have some really shady, weird stuff going on with Siren, right? So I'm wondering if there is some kind of malevolent psychic faction and if them being on the island somehow could have triggered this biological response in, within Krakoa, um, you know, on a level where Krakoa wasn't even aware of it. Oh, I fully agree. Just to piggyback off of that, I want to quote from the comic itself. I have this right in front of me where um, Kid Omega says, but everybody's got something rotten inside them. And if you're not paying attention, what's rotten can slowly take you over and become your own worst enemy. And so with this, maybe it can be Krakoa's starting to feel a little upset at mutants, a little that they're taking over, that they're controlling Krakoa, that they are taking advantage of this entity that is been or is their home now so it could easily be a psychological response and with all these mutants together who knows what powers are amplifying and especially like these negative emotions we know from just x-men it's been a theme for decades that negative emotions can create these terrible outcomes yeah like if i'm if i'm on krakoa right now i'm going full dark beast and i'm bringing the following people in for a very harsh interrogation i want to see shadow king i want to see siren i want to see celine celine i will never trust her i want to see emplate emplate sketchy ass i want to see all of these people that are either dark psychic malevolent forces and or energy vampires i want to see all of those people questioned we need mm. we need answers and we need a secure krakoa as I, I i genuinely get that and part of me you know if if there is no greater metaphor for the psyche of krakoa and its resentment towards mutants if it is no more than just a physical ailment of krakoa a a singular tumor of krakoa well then i hope for i wish krakoa well in its in its you know road to recovery in that sense and i i hope that there is something they can do going forward whether it's x-force or another governmental agency or or transmutant agency that can monitor krakoa to make sure that there is no offshoot like this again but you know all of this all of all of x-force 16 has surrounded me in in these terrible you know i hate the ocean that's a thing to know about me i hate open water um i don't trust it i don't trust anything that lives in it i'm endlessly curious and fascinated by it but i i would literally rather give my right arm than to go past my waist into open water and I don't, I don't even feel bad about it. I'm a grown man who won't go in the ocean. With it's like a reasonable company. fear. It's a it's reasonable, a reasonable fear. fear, right? Oh, you shouldn't feel bad about that. I and you know what? I I genuinely try not to, but like 
So now all I can think of is the ocean aspect of this issue. And I know that we we stand Josh Kassara's art on this book. We all think that he has evolved tremendously over 16 issues. We are all anxious to see what his next project would will be. Stop saying that. Stop him. saying so, that. There I know. I know. I'm like willing it into existence. <laughs> I'm like willing it into existence. I really hope that he doesn't leave. But with that said, I have I have one curiosity about part of his art in this issue. The Leviathan first seen by Wolverine and the one called back to later by Namor have strikingly different physical appearances. Uh, this could be a matter of distance and perspective, but the one first shown seems to have a much more humanoid eye yeah. while the latter appeared to look almost like the face of Krakoa. So my question is twofold. Do we think that there are multiple deep depth threats looming beneath X-Force and Krakoa itself? And what do we think of the possibility of a subterranean living landmass? Because we know there's Krakoa and Araka. Oh, I totally read that differently. I didn't read the eye as the thing itself. I, I read that as one of the infected monsters. Ooh, okay. That's a take that I that I had not entertained before. That's just that's just the take that I got off of it. At yeah, no, I think yeah. I think you're right. I mean, at the time I kind of like hand waved it and I thought that they were the same, but yeah, it, I, I think you're you're right on about that. The eye was a huge sea monster or, or creature that was infected and then the the one with the six eyes i had not realized how much that does look like rakoa with with mm -hmm. four extra eyes uh so that's really interesting i don't have a lot of faith that this matter has been resolved oh no not at all and i think i think the way that the issue ends so perfectly surmises where we are where we are headed in issue 17 of course you know supposition's not the name of the game here you know we're not we're not here to speculate on what next issue will be but that said we are literally left before before a nice piece of prose by wolverine about killing a, a leviathan of the deep we're left with the final panel being namor beginning to fend off this beast beginning to while they started to make an, uh, their ascension i believe i i checked and the crew of x-force were at about 8800 meters deep or kilometers deep by the time that they encountered namor and the tumor so frankly first off they didn't complete their mission uh they gotta they gotta collect that bad boy but they definitely didn't escape we are definitely going to see the fallout of this very shortly unless unless suddenly we cut back to russians or vampires which could happen you know I, or or omega red well that's the russians yeah i, I think i i feel like that's what's on the horizon is going to be a quick jerk back to one of those slot lines but who knows who knows i will say that's that's probably one of my few criticisms i have about just the xbox in general is that most of them seem to they just have a lot going on in them and a lot of different plots all going on especially with Equors. so it's kind of nice just focusing on one thing at the moment and it's kind of a nice break from the more intense intrigue that's been going on yeah i agree with yeah that. i agree with for, that for sure you know and that's why that's why i think i'm quick to say though 
I love Ben Percy. My first introduction to Ben Percy was his work on the audio drama series Wolverine The Long Night uh, and then Wolverine The Lost Trail. Uh, of course, to see him writing two of the books of the Dawn of X era has been tremendous for me personally to grow with him as a creator, though I know he has a wealth of work before what I'm familiar with. Uh, but in that sense, I think he has done such a great job of establishing the central theme of X-Force. It's just that the narrative needs a little bit of like localization. I feel like the, the narrative just needs to be refined a little bit because we are spinning a lot of plates at the moment. And I think, I think I'm so fortunate that the events of the end of 15 led into consequential events of the entirety of issue 16 and ended with direct on-panel reference and a prose data page referencing the events of the issue, hinting to its conclusion being moved forward in the next issue, seeing what is three issues now in my head of this run, running consecutively outside of a crossover, running consecutively with one theme and one narrative, is a little bit foreign to me personally. So it is the one thing that I hope for, and in my coverage of this book, I've said that repeatedly. So I am I am thrilled beyond belief myself. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I it's funny because you and I have a very similar path with Ben Percy. The podcast was my first exposure to him too, and I am a huge fan. Uh, I've really enjoyed so far where the book is going and and just kind of the choices that that, that they've been making. But I agree, it has kind of felt just unclear what the purpose is. Right, like I think some of the recurring themes are security, trade-offs with with privacy and and autonomy, with security of, of the island. I'm not really clear on where they're going next, but I'm enjoying the ride, and I'm enjoying that this monster doesn't necessarily have to be this huge crossover thing that's going to fundamentally change the X-Men forever. Right, like it's there are different size threats, and and for me this was just kind of like a fun little you know side comic that like you could just literally pick this up having not read anything else and and still enjoy it right but it doesn't feel like uh like a big step forward for, for the greater narrative so i am kind of hungry for that i think one thing i would love to see in the pages of Equus is a little bit more expansion of the roster i love the characters that we have but i think just the whole concept of x-force would make sense to have some more people involved uh so that's something i'm kind of hungry for and and yeah that's that's where I'm at though but I, I think as far as just like a single issue and now that we're not in a crossover I think this was this was great it was a great fun ride and the artwork itself is just worth the price of admission alone I, I have to agree I really do I mm -hmm. think that I think that you hit it on the head I kind of want to like lazy lob a couple questions at you before we go of course looking back at this issue despite being the the comic brilliance of issue 15 uh, Domino and Black Tom were surprisingly absent and short on page time this issue uh it doesn't have to be one of the two of them but which series regular do you want more from i know arturo said he wants to see an expansion of the overall cast but you know working with what we've got always black tom for me i have such a, a an affection for him and i think it's so weird and unexpected the way that they brought him to life both how percy writes him and how kasara draws him I find black tom just super interesting i 
and I always love a good redemption story. So seeing him, you know, every every bit of canonical evidence of Black Tom having turned over a new leaf. See what I did there? Leaf. Having joined the side of angels now working with, with the X-Men and, and Mutine. I love so. More Black Tom. And I tweeted at Josh Kassara one big issue, and I'm going to jump up on this soapbox. In the last issue, when Black Tom was being buried in the sand with Domino, loved that so much. Mm-hmm. But I tweeted at him, how dare you draw Black Tom and not give us Black Tom in a bikini? Because if they're just hanging out on the beach, he wouldn't be wearing his whole, you know, jumpsuit. <laughs> so that's my one issue. The only thing that I think could have made this and the last issue better would have been Black Tom and Domino in bikinis looking cute, hanging out on the beach and then fighting monsters in their bikinis. So that's that's my big issue with this. So not only do you want more Black Tom, but you want Black Tom in less clothes. Correct. Yes, that's the ratio. That's that's great. That's That's the ratio we're working with. That is something that I love. Um, Evelyn, who do you who do you feel like is is getting a little less time than you would prefer? And if you say Wolverine, I'm going to walk. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) not exactly Wolverine. No, my pick would actually be Domino. Like her and Black Tom Cassidy. Like that was just so much fun. And I love Domino. I I'm always like just for Domino I always feel like she gets like a bad rep and just not the best storyline sometimes so I just want to see her having a more active role being the badass that she is and getting more people to love her I I absolutely understand that uh, affinity for the character and I I certainly want to see more Domino myself I I will give my answer now I feel like I sound like Pern Hapley from Parks and Recreation <laughs> and the story is that I have a story um so that said my character uh du jour would be Jean Grey and I tell you why it's because of all of the events surrounding the books outside of X-Force right now seem to be suggesting that Jean's quitting of the Quiet Council in the fallout of Ten of Swords is going to mean her direct involvement with the upcoming X-Men and upcoming X-Men election, the reshaking and reassembling of the X-Men roster. So I think, personally, Jean might be leaving X-Force to co-lead X-Men in Hmm. in just the way that it's been laid out for me. The groundwork is there, so I definitely can't not see it. So in that sense, I feel like Jean was kind of just used as the resident telepath in this book. And, you know, for good reason, there wasn't a Gene story to tell. So I'm the king of why tell a Gene story if it's not there. But that said, I would have loved to see her get a little bit of a send off. And I think just being upset with Beast was not enough of an emotional closure, uh, a linchpin to, mm. to really tie this off for me, her involvement in the book. I agree uh, with that. I, I think that is a, a very astute observation. Gene flying off in that moment, uh, it's not enough. You know, we, we should kind of see more. And, you know, and her relationship with Logan, you know, I mean, it's weird because I feel like, God, I don't want to say this, but like, I feel like either we should be getting Wolverine either in his own book or in X-Force, but there's no need to have him in both. And I know that he's Percy's like <laughs> baby and it's like his favorite toy on the shelf and I 100% get that but i think it would do a lot to help just everybody understand where logan's at and what he's doing because he remains kind of this you know omnipresence that is anywhere he needs to be and many places where he doesn't need to be where you could literally substitute him with a number of options 
games and tell just as good of a story but for some reason it's always wolverine so i'm i'm really hopeful that this in this new shakeup, you know we're we're gonna see some kind of obscure characters um you know brought back and, and given some uh, given an opportunity to shine Hey everybody and welcome back. Nico again and this next segment is such a pleasure for me. Whenever Juan comes to the network, he always brings such an energy and a light and crazy voices and we were lucky enough to get him and regular contributor Rod in the same room I wonder how that happened, to cover King in Black number three. Now they've been doing an incredible job spotlighting all of the major stuff going on in the Marvel Universe for us. Whether it was covering the fallout on Empire or their continuing coverage on King in Black. It's been a lot of fun to edit because it's something I just get to come in and listen to. Right? I don't have anything to do with planning it they just turn it in and it's amazing and i hope you guys enjoy listening as much as i enjoy editing hi everyone this is the next segment of x's for pod right now we're going to talk about king and black issue three i'm rod you can find me at rod comma the on twitter and instagram and i'm chongo you can find me at chongo atx on all the socials and today we're going to do a king and black recap the last time we saw king and black on issue was it two we saw that brock had bit the big one. He flatlined, and that was it. He's down and out for the count. Maybe. And we also learned that Dylan has the ability to decimate the symbiotes, taking them away from their host and actually disintegrating them. So pretty much, like, he's the hidden the hidden weapon, the secret weapon for this whole thing. And we also learned in the last issue that Blade is recruiting vampires. Namor is going to bring in some big guns from the deep. And that, um, what else? Oh, and the Thunderbolts are coming. Thanks to Mayor Fisk. And then we open up with this issue with, you know, the reminder of, well, we get this deep, ominous voice. So we don't know who it is yet. And then we... know it's deep. Well, because it has... They're talking... Is it bold? Not like deep as in they're talking a philosophical sense of the light and the darkness and the world. Oh, you mean like deep? Deep, like quote-unquote deep. deep. Not deep voice. Like deep as in emotional and philosophical and all that that other jazz. So we open up with that. We were reminded that, you know, Dylan's laying over his dead father's body. And then we see outside of the building, Sue and Blade with his swarm of vampire buddies, or buddies, <laughs> fighting off the nullified people and heroes that are trying to get Dylan. Because Noel wants Dylan. He's the first person born of symbiotes. Hybrid. hybrid. First hybrid of symbiotes. And he is crazy powerful for reasons we they get alluded to in this issue, but we don't really know why yet. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, there we're at the point where Dylan has the hard choice of having to decide whether he's going to go out and fight to help get all of these heroes free from their symbiotes. And Spider-Man kind of seems like he's trying to talk him out of it because, you know, he's a kid. He's like probably like 12, 13. He's like, are you sure this is what you want to do? Like put yourself in the line of fire. But Dylan's like, I just watched my dad die. I just realized he was my dad. I just spent a year with him in an alternate reality. I'm ready to fuck some shit up. Oh, definitely. And I mean, fuck some shit up. He does. I mean, also, let's go back. Dylan isn't like some little kid that's scared of everything or doesn't want to fight. He has to hold back his like evilness, quote unquote. Yeah, his power of like maliciousness. You know, Mm -hmm. he has to not want to do bad. 
Yeah. So we get this flash page of Logan, Spider-Man, uh, Sue Storm, and then Dylan flying into action because they need to bring Noel to them so they can hurt him. Well, they're trying to see if they can hurt Noel. If Dylan is able to use his power to take away the symbiote hosts and if that causes Noel pain. So the first person he gets attacked by is uh, nullified Captain America, which is badass because you see that moment where Dylan catches Cap's shield and he's like, gonna need to borrow this. So basically Dylan like just uses his ability and takes away the symbiote for Captain. Cap's all days. He has no idea what's going on because... When a symbiote attaches to you, you basically lose control and the symbiote takes over. Yeah, and we see that that actually does hurt Noel because Noel has put a lot of themselves in these heroes because it takes a stronger influence to take over such strong beings. And when Dylan separates from that, it hurts him deeply. And he's like, ah, but he's like, there you are, child. So he's looking for him. So he found Dylan now. Dylan just basically outed himself. And he's like, oh, I'm over here, by the way, if you're looking for me. And what happens? Yeah, well, I mean, we get that. I love the little, when he controls a lot of the big symbionts and makes a big hand and everything. Yeah. I like that addition to Noel's power. Especially in all of New York and everything, because I feel like that makes it even more chilling. You yeah. can't escape him. Well, it's it's like Noel is all encompassing. He's everywhere. His ooze, like as long as there's a symbiote around, it's attached to his hive mind, so he can mm -hmm. see everything. Mm -hmm. But then lightning strikes, and we're like, oh shit, is that Storm? But no, it's not Storm. She's taking over. She's taking. It over. is Thor. He finally makes an appearance. Mm, where has he been? But he's like, it's called lightning, and he. He's like, what can I do for you, Dylan? And we get this ominous voice again that's like talking over them, fighting all the symbiotes, freeing people. Like they free the Hulk, I guess, who's taken over, which I just noticed that actually. <laughs> Lightning other nullified people, you know, trying to like get a lot of humanity back that's in New York. And basically the ominous voice is like, what they're doing is for naught. Like they're not going to win, but at least they're trying really hard. Yeah, during this whole fight, I really like it because Thor's basically, like, telling this guy, oh, you think you're a god and a king? Well, guess what? You're fighting a god and a king. You're nothing compared to me. I've fought bigger, badder things than you. And Thor comes in with all this bravado. It's kind of like in the movie, the um, Avengers Infinity War, where Thor comes in and you're like, oh, the tide's about to turn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's essentially the part of this, of this issue where you're like, oh, man, here we come. Especially because throughout the whole issue, this person who is narrating the story is talking about the balance of the dark and the light. They're constantly talking about how there has to be an equal to the dark. And so far, the dark is taking over. Yeah. So there has to be the light. And we're like, oh, it's Thor the light. Because, I mean, he would be a good accomplicing of the light. I mean, he's he's king of the nine realms now. So he would be a good accomplicing of the light. But as we know, Noel starts kicking his ass. <laughs> well, it's, it's a pretty fair... They're going, like, hit for hit. True. And then out of, like, you know, nowhere, freaking Thor comes with his hammer and just smashes the crap out of Noel's jaw. Mm -hmm. Basically shatters it, which was awesome. Yeah, because, I mean, they're both... When they're both going jab for jab, they're also going jab for jab in insults. Like, yeah. they're both like, I'm the shit. And they're like, no, I'm the shit. And Thor's just like, you know what? I'm the shit. I'm done with this. I say when enough is enough, and I say it as enough. And he smacks him with the hammer, basically takes off half his jaw, 
And that's when Noel's like, you know what? This earth, I'm done playing around. This earth can burn. And he channels the Nullify Celestials to start to activate, start burning down the earth. And Thor's like, hold on, I got this. And Noel's like, nope. He gets out his sword and stabs him in the back. The Necro Sword. The Necro Sword. I love because Noel says, oh, you know this sword. You know the history because this is the same Necro Sword that Gore the God Butcher used to basically almost kill Thor and like became well he was kind of like the the god of darkness Thor was at the end towards the end of Thor's run that was a final big bad that Thor had to to defeat well that's what Noel even calls back to that he's like I'll I'll read it verbatim he's like and you will watch you know the pain of Allbot don't you well now you've had the honor of being killed by its creator all black was gore. Like we basically see Thor get stabbed through the chest with the Necro Sword. Reed Richards is like, "Well, shit, there was our ace in the hole." Yeah, just like they thought with Century <laughs> that there was an ace in the hole. So what they're trying to do is trying to take control of these Celestials while also seeing that Thor, their big gun, just got taken down. But thankfully, in comes in Iron Man, who with the extremist took over one of the Grendel dragons. And I love this scene so goddamn much because he's about to use the Grendel symbiote to attach himself to one of the Celestials and become another freaking suit of armor. And I love that he referenced, he's like, hey, Mr. Fantastic, have you ever played Rock'em Sock'em Robots? Like, I just love that little quippy mm-hmm. Tony Stark. That's like the, my favorite part of Tony yeah. Stark. Because he's not the most likable character, mm-hmm. but this little, like, cockiness of his, like, little yeah. jokes. Yeah, that's why I like, like, he was like, I'm going to use this dragon to override one of them and make him my new favorite armor. Yeah. He was like, like dude, he's going to take over a freaking Celestial. I know. And he does. And they go, like, just... Blow for blow, too. Now now we have two Celestials fighting. And can we just go back for one second? Like, talk about fucking Donny Cates. Like, th- this event encompasses a lot of characters. Mm-hmm. Some characters he hasn't really written that extensively before this book. But I feel like he gets all the characters' voices correctly. Yeah. Like, you know who these characters are just by these little bubbles. Like, you yeah. that... The little bubbles with Mr. Fantastic and Sue Storm in the beginning, like talking. She's like, Come on, Reed, hurry up. I'm like, dying because out Reed here. He's trying to do everything. He's, he's like explaining everything, doing his whole science. Yeah. And she's like, I'm literally bleeding through my nose trying to protect y'all. Reed, let's go. So I, I just love those little like innuendo like notes that Donnie gets with the wording. But now to even go back to the splash page, talking about Ryan Stegman, like this splash page of Tony's Celestial punching the nullified Celestial. Like, this is, like, beautiful. Something I feel like you could buy the original sketch of and just, like, hang yeah, it you up. Should. And... You should buy it for me. Hey, Donnie, you know, we're, <laughs> we're friends with you. Can you get us this? So, I I just, I I love it. It's, it's freaking awesome. beautiful. Yeah, and then, like, this, the last freaking thing that we get out of this thor with the necro sword through his back and income in the ravens and thor's telling them you know go Go find find him him. and this whole time you're like okay who's him Mm -hmm. and we're like oh we're about to figure out who the narrator is the narrator has to be him so turn the page and you get the freaking reveal of of silver surfer Surfer black coming in but the thing is Yes, Silver Surfer Black was a narrator this whole time, but the thing is, he is not him. He is not the him that Thor's talking about. 
because apparently the person that they need cannot come through the the symbiote planet. He can't break through. But while Noel's dome still stands, it cannot break through. So it wants to come already, but he can't. He can't break through the darkness. Only Silver Surfer's power can. People were speculating that either Thor was or Silver Surfer was the god or of the light. the Sentry was. Or the Sentry was. But I, I'm Donnie said that it's somebody we already know. Like it's not a new character. No, they're gonna. I think they're gonna be revealed a new like as something new. I am going to go on the limb just because from what we've read in Al Ewing's uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, if you're reading that, Starwood just came back from being gone, and mm. he came back with the two guns that have like the power cosmic, like celestial power, yeah. and he called himself the Sun God. Yeah. So, or the light god or something like that. So I'm like, okay, you're dropping hints Do you now. think he could be like, maybe like a reincarnation of the god of light? Like maybe it's like um, the baby in the Avengers. Like it's like the, the oh, star like brand. Star brand. Like maybe it manifests in different people throughout the ages. Well, the thing is, I feel like because Star-Lord is part celestial. Yeah. Because Ego mm-hmm. is his dad. Mm-hmm. That he's had that in him, but he's couldn't He's activate never, it. He couldn't activate it. Yeah. So when he went to that parallel universe, now all of a sudden he activated well, it. Now he is this person. Yeah. Well, also, he went to that parallel universe and lived there. Spoiler alert if you haven't read the recent Guardians, like our the last You had time. You had time. So just pause it, go read it, and come back. Um, but he was there for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe experience on that, tapping into inner peace and following yeah. other people and aging. Yeah. It allowed him He matured a lot. Yeah, he matured a lot. It allowed his body to develop in more of a deity sense. Yeah, because he was tapping into higher powers that he had never tapped into before. And he realized that the gun is actually very powerful. And it is very on brand for Star Lord to sacrifice himself yeah. to end a cosmic event. Yeah. I mean, look at Annihilation. So it's very on brand for Star Lord to be the key and to be sacrificed. Because yeah. I'm sure the God of Light is going to probably destroy Null by destroying himself. But if it isn't him, who would you think? Who else would you think? If I had to think about it, man, I mean, I really thought it was going to be Sentry. <laughs> Um, because it makes sense. And I think, I think Donnie knew everyone was going to think it was Century, Arthur, or even Silver Surfer, because I was thinking, oh, maybe it is Silver Surfer because Silver Surfer went back in time in Silver Surfer Black and basically released Noel. And this is why Noel is the way he is now. So it's kind of Silver Surfer's fault. But, you know, (laughs) so I thought maybe since he went back in there and battled him, he would be considered the god of light since he's kind of been living technically forever since he traveled back and forth through time. Yeah. But obviously, no. So I I don't know. (laughs) There's a few characters that are coming back soon that I'm like, okay, could it be that? Like Quasar? I'm like, okay, is it Quasar? Because Quasar is going to Where is Quasar? Yeah. Isn't there like a a woman Quasar too? That was in like Secret Empire? She had the bands. Oh, okay. Okay, so she wasn't like Quasar, no. Quasar. Okay. If it is somebody we know, it might be an obscure character yeah. that is like powerful, but we probably haven't seen in a while. Right. Because to bring back a character we haven't seen in a while is very on Donny Kate's brand. Oh yeah, he loves bringing in old shit. Yeah. He was the one that brought back the Sentry. Going back to Silver Surfer Black, he borrowed power from Galactus to help him defeat Noel the first time. The I mean, they just killed Galactus. Right. So... 
But the thing is, I wonder <laughs> if they bring in um, the instead of like the bad Galactus, mm-hmm. if they bring back the the life bringer. But that Galactus. was the same Galactus. They turned him back. Yeah. So. No, I know. I'm just wondering if they. Would oh, like if he died and then reverted, reverted to, back to, to that would be good. I mean, Galactus again is basically been alive since the beginning, in a yeah. sense, like not since the beginning, beginning, but like very far back. Yeah. So he was there at the Silver Surfer Black. At the Silver Surfer yeah. Black at the creation. It was of like it. a bad battle. Because he was there. Well, he was birthed. He was still tiny because yeah, yeah. he had escaped. He was the last survivor of mm-hmm. uh, another multiverse. At the mm-hmm. end of that multiverse, he came to ours. Yeah. So he was the reason that Silver Surfer was able to defeat Noel the first time. Exactly. Because he borrowed his power. Now, I do have to say, going back to King and Black, just the issue itself. We didn't talk about it yet because we talked about like Donnie is really writing these characters well and then Ryan Stegman's art is really well. But with Ryan Stegman's art, I really am enjoying like J.P. Myers and Frank Martin's The Inker and the Colorists. Like they really make all of this art really pop. Yeah. And I just wanted to say that because I feel like a lot of colorists and don't get a lot more yeah. attention. Oh no, but the coloring was great. Just it, it like it's a really like dark book but these colors really make all the the action a lot of really bright pop. reds yeah and it really Absolute works well intensity. it works well with ryan stegman's art because to me ryan stegman's art is really like kind of like watching an animated movie mm-hmm. or a movie in general it's very actiony it flows you can see in your mind even though the pictures don't move they kind of move in your head while you're reading yeah also, come on, like, he just draws intense-looking, like, scenes, like, when Noel got his jaw ripped off. Yeah. And then you see the jaw on the floor, and then Noel basically makes a new jaw out of symbiotes. Yeah, this is definitely not a book for kids. No. But, I mean... Well, if you if you wouldn't figure it out after the first issue where you ripped the guy in half. True. When you see the so, guts and everything. Yeah. yeah. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Where's the maker? So last time we saw the maker was when they left and they left Dylan's buddy symbiote, sleeper. the cat sleeper. sleeper. So I think the maker has sleeper because mm-hmm. he can contain symbiotes, and I'm sure he contain sleeper. I think the maker is waiting because the maker didn't want to do anything with Noel. Yeah. He didn't care about Noel. He wanted to talk to the other reeds and figure out a plan to you know take over everything. Yeah, with the symbiotes. So I think, honestly, I think with Venom 200, I think that's what we're probably going to stop on with Donnie. Since Donnie's giving over, mm-hmm. like take, like not fi- like finishing Finish off his run in 200, I feel like that's what is going to be like the cliffhanger of his run or something like that is a big standoff with the maker after yeah, this with I Eddie. I actually see that. If Eddie comes back to life. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, the last time we saw Eddie, he's deep within the codice of symbiote like an unconscious state of himself yeah i think he's trying to fig- find his way back to life to life and i think with that Evanescence. he's gonna bring back flash thompson because flash thompson makes an appearance in the final splash page of yeah. the last issue of venom so we also might get flash thompson back but not flash thompson as just agent venom but as agent anti-venom which looks bad ass and like, also oh. We know that symbiotes can't attach themselves Speak, to anti-venom. Speaking of anti-venom, we're going a little bit off of, of issue three of King and Black, but it still relates, is the recent issue of Black Cat. Mm-hmm. And she gets a little bit of anti-venom to rescue Doctor oh, Strange. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, if you are reading King of Black and you're really interested with it, you should definitely read the recent 
black cat issues, um, especially the one that just came out because yeah. she goes two ties in so far. Two, yeah, two two of issues so far. And in that one, if you haven't read it, pause, go read it, and come back. Um, <laughs> she basically has to rescue Doctor Strange. Her big thing is she has to break in to the knoll. Gel. Not even a gel, it's like a ball of, of like symbiote goo. Yeah. She has to break in there in order to rescue Doctor Strange because Doctor Strange is another one that they need to be able to help them. Yeah. Because you know. I mean, he, like, Noel is affected by magic, lightning, and fire. So Doctor Strange is Sorcerer Supreme. Mm-hmm. So that's why Noel was like, Noel knows things. Like, he senses of, he knows all, basically, about all the heroes because all the heroes have been with the symbiote at some point mm-hmm. so he knows it has a lot of information yeah. so he knew to capture Doctor Strange and hold him in this like sleeping cell so he can't mess with him because Doctor Strange can do a lot of shit yeah well he's a social spring, he's a spring. he brought back the century he brought back the century. Uh, <laughs> so yeah Black Cat has to go in and rescue him Using an anti-venom symbiote, but since it's man-made, it has, like, a temporary life. Yeah. It burns out after, like, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. So she had to be really quick about it. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that, like... Oh, by the way, she goes in with bats to go help. Yeah, another Doctor Strange, <laughs> which is awesome because bats is there, and he knows enough about mysticism mm-hmm. to like be able to help her yeah so you end up finding out that the thing that she's holding on to is like uh As guardian, guardian spell. spell and man like y'all have to read that issue because that last, that last page that last page Ooh. with her and that uh, guardian magic oh i can't wait to the next issue after yeah. that she looks so gorgeous like felicia hardy looks gorgeous all the time anyway mm-hmm. but after getting that Asgardian leveled up look yeah. oof, it's so good and, and this is what I like about this event where people are like oh there's no like repercussions there's no nothing that come out of it there's no fallout uh we're getting the Valkyries back we're getting the Valkyries back we're getting more Black Cat Planet of the Symbiotes we're probably gonna get we're getting another Scream solo Cassidy is back but not as Carnage, as no. Plague, which is a new symbiote. New symbiote altogether. Formed by Noel and created this Plague symbiote that sucks the souls out of people. Yeah. Also, what's going to happen to the Celestials after this? Like, yeah. the Sizzlies took over. Are they yeah. just going to get destroyed? Because one of them already got destroyed by the Sentry. Yeah. And it... but also, when you got to think about it because, okay, they're bringing in the Thunderbolts as well into this. That's a whole new thing. They're bringing in um, the stuff with Namor with those uh, monsters from the deep that he's, which they have set up that if you unleash these things, you can't put them back in. It's going to be really hard. Yeah. So it's going to be one of those things where that's going to build up to something else. I love how they're doing all these little things that are dropping like little, like, like, uh, seeds for new things to yeah. grow out of. And also, this was the first event the X-Men had been in yeah. in a while. And now they're a well, major, major ma- MCU major, and Marvel. Major Marvel event. They had their own yeah. event, but more across the 616 universe. This is the first event they've been mm-hmm. included in. And that's huge. Like, because they're on Krakoa, they're doing their own shit right now. Yeah. But now they're actually helping and the heroes are seeing them get helped and they're taking collateral damage. Okay. So Yeah. Yeah. On. So they will like appreciate them for this, even yeah. though, you know, they're being like their own island. 
And also the next cover page for issue four of King and Black, the second to last issue, has the X-Men on there as Jean, Storm, Cyclops, Wolverine, and Magneto. Which is a good lead in and segue into the two sword tie-ins that we've had so far. Y'all, read sword number two, the tie-in to the King and Black issue if you haven't already. We get introduced some some characters, some new characters that are on the team. You have amazing moments. Like, you get to see Sunfire have this badass moment mm-hmm. after Fabian Nias. Fabian repowers him and mm-hmm. he takes out a freaking Grendel. Yeah, it's amazing. And then you find out that their whole reason that they came back down is because they had to protect the Five. Mm-hmm. Because of all these symbiotes are coming through, their main people to protect yeah. are the people that can bring them back to life. Because if they're gonna, of all these people are gonna die, the five are the ones that you need to save the most. Exactly, and I and I love that they tie that in because it makes sense. And I love that in that issue, I've talked about this in when I covered swords, so it's a little bit of going over it again. But I love that they address that the five want to help because they are heroes, but they have to sustain Krakoa. If they die, like all of them die, then no more mutants can be brought back anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they have to be sustained. They have to be okay. Yeah. Which they honestly, they need to go on on Krakoa steering off a little bit. They need to find backups for them like they do in sword yeah which i feel like they kind of i feel like they have a a few backups mostly for hope but not for all of them like i guess you can't really find a backup for egg yeah i feel like proteus is the main one that you want to have a backup for yeah and there's a few reality warper mutants that can't really be trusted but (laughs) you can you can try it's hard to find a powerful mutant like that that isn't going crazy and I, I do, just to wrap up the sword issue, I really loved how, like, when Noel's hand reached the gate and he was like, oh, my, a whole island full of new toys, toys that I can use. And then you see that venomized or nullified cable walk through. And that's when you're like, oh, shit's about to hit the, the fan. And then we found out that there's, um, I don't remember how many issues, the Marauders have a tie. Marauders have a tie-in. There's a, a one-shot Black Panther tie-in. I think it's one-shot. Yeah. There's a few. like Which apparently Storm's going to be in. Storm's going to be in it. I don't know if it's nullified Storm. She's nullified right now. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe they have to un-nullify her. I don't know. But see, this is the point that we're making. Like this event is really cool. It looks like it's gonna have lasting effects, and it's just—it's not just a lot of tie-ins that are just out of nowhere because yeah. this affects the whole. The whole planet got covered in nullified right. goo. Like it's awesome. Like this is a really fun event. It's really well written and constructed. They really planned this out, yeah. which is why it makes sense why it got pushed back because of COVID because they had to meticulously yeah. plan it out because all these issues back to back are really feeding well, off of each other. Also, they had to like be aware of everything else that was being released at the time so mm-hmm. that it made sense. Yeah. Like when they had the reveal of um, Electra Daredevil that yeah. was smart because it was just like what, a week after? Yeah, it was literally the week after. Yeah. So if they didn't plan that right you would have been spoiled for daredevil and been like what yeah exactly so so they they did their their work on this one and i do like it because the thing is 
A lot of people have this idea that Donnie's the extreme writer. He's the bad boy writer of yeah. Marvel. So they think every they think he's very nineties. Mm-hmm. Given you know his he's writing Venom stuff, and he did Absolute Carnage, which mm-hmm. kind of was a playoff of Maximum Carnage. Mm-hmm. So everyone's like, "Oh, this guy's very nineties mentality." But no, because the thing is, he writes deep, meaningful moments for these characters. Oh, it's yeah. not just like big action scenes. No, I mean if you if you read Venom, yeah, like that is deep emotional cuts. Yeah, that Venom's never really gotten before. Like he's gotten it. Yeah. But not in this level. No. This is like sad boy being sad boy to the max. But at the same time, he's developing this character. He gave him a son. He gave him like, you know, uh, his turn where like the heroes come to him and I want him to be part of the hero team. He's no longer the anti-hero. He's not the guy that stands around the perimeter of mm-hmm. being a villain, a good guy. He's part of the main Avengers plan. Yeah. Like Venom, Eddie Brock is. Right. And he, that's what I love about this event and this Venom run in general so much because it was a character that was in another character's shadow. And yeah. now he's his own, it, it's his own character. He's now you he's know? got his own lore. Own he's lore. On his own two feet. His whole own genre, like he could build onto this more and more as the years go on if you really want to. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't have to just be like, oh, what's Spider-Man doing right now? Let's see. Right. Like, he can do his own thing. Yeah, and it, it isn't one of those things where he goes into Spider-Man's world and Spider-Man goes into his world. Mm-hmm. And I love that even, like, the other symbiotes, yeah. this shows that a symbiote can have its own story and still succeed, yeah. so now other symbiotes are getting their own, like, screen. Right. That's why I love it, like, when uh, on some of the tie-ins, where they're like, ugh, of course, this is some symbiote shit. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, this is symbiote stuff. They're like, of course, Eddie and his Venom symbiote caused this. I know, like, Black Cat, she's, like, so irritated at Eddie mm-hmm. because she's like, I know, she, well, first of all, she hates Eddie because they have a bad past. Yeah. Like, he almost beat her to death before. So she's like, I hate Eddie. I know this is his fault. I'm going to, like, punch his teeth out as soon as I see him. And even though he's dead, she right. doesn't like, he's, dead. he's dead. So, he, the dead horse. you know, no beat you to the punch and on then, that. Then Spider, Spider-Woman says the same thing. She goes, of course, I'd get time to some symbiote shit. Yeah. So I'm like, man, it's just funny because now he's, like, they built this whole universe for him. And it's about to all, like, finish. Yeah, because we have only two more issues. We have issue four and issue five. And then the event's going to be done, which, I mean, makes me sad because then, you know, that's going to be Donnie's last event with Venom that we know of. We don't know what he's going to do after Venom because he's already writing. He's still writing Thor and everything. Um, But then, yeah, it comes even closer to Venom 200. And then, yeah. You know what I think is really cool is that the, um, they're going to have the Wiccan and Hulking tie-in to this mm-hmm. of them on their honeymoon. Because I think it's cool that this event ponytailed right off of Empire mm-hmm. with a uh, web of Venom the end or whatever. And then it's going to, towards the end, end with Hulking and Wiccan. So it's like a digital full circle moment. It did a full circle where the like the two gay superheroes got married and then they have their honeymoon and it's all into <laughs> While all these planets are dying. Yeah. Uh, like all between, all between these two major events, they just don't get a break. Like no. they really don't. And I mean, that's quintessential hero relationships. Yeah. So it's really nice to see like an actual gay couple have that instead of just like mm-hmm. straight. Ever get kidnapped during the honeymoon? Right? Yeah. Like hopefully not. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this issue was really great. 
it really it it doesn't flatline at all no. you still have this adrenaline that you had in issue one and two like it doesn't stop even in moments where they're you know talking with each other like an issue two like at eddie's deathbed are you know they're in that moment when well they don't really stop at all in this issue but like and even in issue, like in moments like that where they're talking mm-hmm. you still get this like urgency like they're trying to figure it out they're trying to figure a science of it or the magic of it or what have you mm-hmm. towards the end when noel is activating the celestials and stab store he captures dylan and he's like you know i'm the only family you have now come mm-hmm. with me let us talk my son yeah. because it is his son yeah, well, he's his granddaddy. Not, not, not even. Uh, I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah he's his, his grandfather. Yeah, technically, his grandfather and his son, because the and symbi- your mother and your father. Yeah, because the symbiote is him, but it's also the symbiote is his child. The symbiote is me and me. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of like I guess like a a God and Jesus thing, you know, in a sense. If you want to oh, like, take it there, father, son, Holy Ghost. yeah. Ooh, right so- this is like it's so many levels that I, mm-hmm. I i think like donnie and company intended it to be so what would you give it this issue what i would give it at least like a nine out of ten because i feel like it hit every point with me i the only thing i feel like that would make it a hundred percent is i don't know maybe i would give it a 10 out of 10 because i was i tried to be more like not as biased because i'm mm-hmm. obviously i'm like a venom donny kate stan um if you want to call it a stan <laughs> uh don't really like that word but um yeah i don't i don't know I, yeah probably 10 out of 10 i don't know what else i would want to see maybe the namor stuff mm-hmm. but that might come in next issue um we do get like a little panel of him with like yeah. captain marvel and all that so I think 10 out of 10 because it's a really good issue and it keeps up with the pace of the other ones. Yeah. I say it's a solid 9 out of 10. Yeah. I'm just not giving it a perfect 10 just because I always feel like there's room to grow. That's I'm true. Sure. See, that's what I was trying to like, you know. Yeah. I, I love I love it. It was great. Like, you got the motion from Dylan and him finally getting his moment because this whole time he's been trying to tell everyone, listen, guys, I can help. Mm-hmm. And he finally gets his moment to help. And then who does he get to help? Thor. Yeah. Thor gets to help him. Thor gets to help him. Yeah. And they have like that back to back moment, which was really cool of them like fighting like, things. Can you imagine being a little kid and like, you know, growing up with Tales of Thor, obviously. Mm-hmm. And Thor coming down, saving you and be like, Hey, how can I help you? Yeah. It's like, oof, I don't yeah. know. That's uh, it'd be so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and uh for and then that you get the great emotional beats and like you got the moments that uh, show the history between Noel and Thor did really good. Mm-hmm. And then he did really good of tying in, you know, the Silver Surfer bike stuff into this. It's it's really cool because he's got this this narrative that ties in all of the works he's done so far into this. And it's, it's hard not to want to be like, oh, it's a 10 out of 10 yeah. for me. But I feel like there still has to be... There can always be something. improvement. Nothing's yeah. ever perfect. So that's why I don't like saying 10 out of 10. But I just love this event so much because I feel like it's one of the few events that's been out recently that I'm not like, man, I wish this would have happened instead. Yeah. Right? I know it's only in the middle, but it's it's halfway done. Yeah. So I can say that I'm like, I am happy with what's going what's on. What's going right on now. right now, yeah. And honestly, 
Noel is probably one of my favorite new villains besides The Maker in recent years. Yeah. Like, The Maker was really fresh and new, even though it was Mr. Fantastic, mm-hmm. um, just evil one. It was a spin-on, um, something spin that you already on. knew. Yeah, but Noel is, I, I love the voice he gives Noel. I love the power he has, and it's just really well done. This issue already, like, yes, we already know that Noel is super powerful. Yeah. But this was the moment where Noel finally came down from his tower, mm-hmm. came, got his hands dirty, yeah. went toe-to-toe with Mighty Thor, and put him in his place, essentially. Yeah. He did. I mean, he, he smacked he smacked down one of the other powerhouses of Marvel and was like, oh, sweetheart, you're but a child. And, we, and he smacked down Thor in his prime because he has the um, Odin's energy mm-hmm. from being king. Odin Force. Odin Force. And he has the cosmic energy from what Galactus gave him before mm-hmm. he killed him. So this is like the most powerful Thor has ever been. Mm-hmm. And he went toe-to-toe with him, but then knocked him on his ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's insane. I mean, we know uh, Noel's powerful because he ripped Sentry in half. Do you but... know why I gave it a 9 out of 10? I feel like they could have done more. I feel like there could have been more pages. Yeah. I feel like there was just... This was... I felt, to me... Because I think, because you're reading so fast, it felt really short. Yeah. The only reason I feel like they cut the pages down, because it's already a four ninety nine book. Yeah. And they don't want to stuff it up too much, because then it would be more money. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's more conscious for the readers to not have to to spend so much money, you know, getting yeah. it. Because I can only imagine how much that Venom two hundred is going to be because it's ninety six pages. Yeah. So I mean, that's, that's but that's like the issue. yeah, but that's like the last of his run, so that's yeah. more understandable. Yeah. But to make like a a seven nine nine book for every issue yeah. of the event is a I'm like I would pay it because I want to read the event, but right. for some people it's a little too steep, especially if especially if they're already kind of on the fence. About yeah, that's it. what I'm saying. Like yeah. especially if someone doesn't want to really read the book. Because if you think about it, a lot of people get into runs because of events. Yeah. Like, people might start reading Venom, or at least the last few issues before this event of Venom, because of, you know, this event. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what happens with me with a lot of events, too. Like, sometimes I'll be like, oh, you know, I can't think of one recently. (laughs) But, because I usually, I'm reading, we're reading, like, everything right now. Yeah. But... That events usually help me to get started on older issues, like yeah. the ones that happened in like the nineties or eighties. Well, I'm like, well, what I want to read before that? Yeah, just look at Empire. Like for Empire, I went back and I read so many of like old classic Avengers stories. And um, before King of Black, I kind of went back and retouched upon you know Jason Aaron's Thor. Went back and I read all of Black Knight, mm-hmm. uh, Frank Thierry's um, Black Knight run, and. Speaking of which, that's the one of the next big issues is going to be his tie-in, and then Deadpool is going to be the next two major ones, and so that should be really fun to see. Yeah, it'd be really fun to see. I'm the, I think the thing I'm most excited about though is this the next King in Black number four because it's one of my favorite covers of this because I'm biased. X-Men are really because prominent. X-Men are really prominent in it and because I love the X-Men so I'm a little biased on it. Yeah. But we get to see more of the X-Men supposedly in the well, event. What I like to, well, yeah, because if you see how S.W.O.R.D. ended, mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's a big thing to have happened. Yeah. So that should be fun. It should be really fun. I'm really excited about it and yeah, I really like this event. I 
definitely recommend it for people. When people ask me about this event, I'm like, hey, if you have time, go read Venom, at least the last few issues. But mm -hmm. I, I would say read all of it. Pick up a trade. Pick up a trade. Down, Marvel like, Unlimited. Marvel Unlimited. Like, there's ways to do it, y'all. Go support your, you know, local comic book artist. I mean, local stores, comic shop. Comic shop. And your local, your local comic book And artists. a local comic book artist, too. You know, you never know. Yes, um, me. Go support the, me. The, <laughs> <Antique> public shop. <laughs> but, um... But yeah, I, I I think this is one of the events that doesn't take that long to get in, like to get prepared for, because you basically no. just have to read Venom and then Silver Surfer, Silver Surfer Black, mm -hmm. and then you'll be able to but enjoy you can it. Definitely go deep into it, but yeah, like, there's you don't have to get yeah, because you could also read like Jason Aaron's Thor in yeah. some parts to get yeah. it too. But it's this is good. We're in the we're halfway through the event and we're still at the point where it feels like we're still screwed. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we still have so much to still talk about like like before that doesn't cover just two issues yeah you know like i'm like man we're half we're more than halfway through and like he just took down thor yeah but like what else is gonna happen jesus i'm like how are they gonna win the I'm, phoenix is gonna come in and just burn everything i mean yeah i mean the phoenix isn't avengers where does is the avengers phoenix that's not even, that's not even i know <laughs> i'm like is that after that's this that or before but this no no you're gonna hurt so, no gonna hurt your brain no one, no one wants you. so it's gonna hurt your all right so yeah, I mean, like we said, 9 out of 10 for this. And thank y'all so much for listening. I hope that we, again, this is our third time talking about King and Black, and I hope it inspires you to read more of things like this. Yeah, or just come up with a YouTube video, you know? If you feel like you need a little bit more deep dive. Yeah. But, like, definitely check it out, guys. I think it'll be fun. You'll, I feel like there's something for everyone in this. There is definitely something for everyone. Yeah. This, I feel like, like I said, this is the first event in a while that has a little bit of what everyone likes. Yeah. And even the times. If you don't like the main event, read the times. Read you know, the, the times, times are really too. good. Yeah, they are really Thunderbolts are. was hilarious. Thunderbolts was really good. Matthew Rosenberg, right? He yeah. is a stellar writer. So. Yeah, that was good. But yeah, guys, thank you for uh, hanging out with us and letting us recap King and Black. King and Black. I'm going to do like this. Excelsior. Yeah. Because Excelsior. Excelsior? Yeah, I said it. Don't make fun of my little country accent. Uh, words are hard. So, all right. Bye, guys. Bye, Bye. guys. Hey guys, Nico here with one last segment, and this next piece, King in Black, Return of the Valkyries number one, is kind of a culmination of so many things so many of us love, whether it's Danny Moonstar's turn as a Valkyrie, or it's Jane Foster's turn as a Valkyrie, or I guess we just really like it when people are Valkyries. And I know, personally, I am a Jason Aaron super fan, so getting to cover a little bit of Jason Aaron on this show, now that he no longer graces the pages of the X-Men, is definitely a pleasure for me. In this next segment, Nathan, myself, Jonah, Kyle, and Maddie, all take a look at this first issue that we thought might have some Danny Moonstar in it, but instead had a lot of really cool Valkyries, some badass lesbian content, and the Sentry. A lot of the Sentry. Really didn't see that coming. As always, you guys can check us out on Twitter at X's for Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you're enjoying what you're hearing. Leave us a review on Apple Podcast and check out our Patreon where you guys can not only find out how you can shape the future of the show, but you can get some pretty cool shit in the process. Alright, guys as always we love having you here keep those Krakoan gateways open enjoy this last segment and we'll see you 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to X's for Podcast. This is Nathan. You can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at DazzlerAOA. Hey, guys. It's Maddie. And as always, you can find me over on Instagram at the Basely Covetous Man and over on Twitter at Basely Covetous. Hey, everyone. This is Kyle. And you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Hi, I'm Jonah. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. Hey everybody, and I'm Nico, and you guys can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. All right, so today we are covering the return of the Valkyries. This story takes place in the middle of King of Black issue two. It is by Jason Aaron and Run Gronbeck, other writers. Artist is Nina Vekeva. Uh, colorist is Tamara Bonvillain. And letter is VCs Joe Sabina. All right, so we are dropped into the story in the middle of issue two of King of Black. So what were you guys' thought of dropping the story into the middle of what was going on in issue two of King and Black? What were you guys, where were you guys mentally with that? I loved that King and Black was basically like, does everybody want to talk about their feelings? Is that, does everybody just, can we just do feelings time? That was like my actual favorite part of King and Black number two. It was so much chitter chatter in a, in like a positive way. I actually really thought that was pretty, pretty fitting, right? To give us a little space to breathe after the first bit of the crossover. And then I, you know, I opened this and I kept thinking there were going to be X-Men in it because, you know, Danny, Danny on the cover, Danny, 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 Danny's a Valkyrie, Danny. And, excuse me. And um, this was a lot of talking. I read a lot of talking. That all took place at the same time. I read a lot of talking, Nathan. Yeah, no, it was a lot of talking. And I was promised Danny Moonstar, and hopefully we'll get her an issue too. But when you take this into account too, with the fact that like right over an actual King and Black itself, like Eddie Brock is laying dead and dying at this point in time, it's just, it's a whole lot of darkness and death going on. I also was expecting at least a little bit of Danny. I knew from War of the Realms, or the fallout from War of the Realms, that Jane Foster was effectively the last Valkyrie at that point. So I wasn't exactly sure how Danny would fit in into this. So I I don't know. I, I, I'm intrigued to see how Valkyrie proceeds with this. And I'm assuming that we're going to see more Valkyries as this goes forward. Usually they are a sisterhood. There's nine. So usually, you know, we have one who is Valkyrie because, you know, (laughs) the way people appropriated gods was you just sort of took a figure from Mythos and stuck them in real quick. And so they were like, look, she is Valkyrie, even though there are also plus eight more Valkyrie. (laughs) But this one's the Avengery one. So Valkyrie. And yeah, so there should be more than one. It's weird that there keep being not more than one. (laughs) It's because they were all slaughtered during War of the Realms. Oh, no, they keep being all slaughtered. That's like a thing Marvel loves to do. Marvel loves to be like, oh, no, now they're all dead. There's just the one. They kill all of them, and then they're like, oh, Danny Moonstar, you're still a Valkyrie? Oh, we'll bring you back later on. Just go to your exit. It's almost like in Greek mythos with Artemis, and she had her hunters, and they were all women, and they all were best friends with one another. That's exactly what the Valkyries are. Except they all die. And I'm pretty sure Athena's... uh, Not Athena, I'm so sorry. Artemis. Don't smite me, Athena. Don't smite me, Artemis. Uh, would be like, these are my hunt girls. Um, you're not welcome. Bye. We're doing okay. Hunt, we're doing hunt, hunt girl shit. That hunt is girls amazing. is the hottest thing I've ever heard. That is amazing. I love it. That. <laughs> that's what it, that's what it just made me think of. I 
I can confidently say I had no idea what was going to happen going into this because my only little spat with Valkyrie was early on in um, the new Defenders. I believe she's like a member of for a short, brief period of time. So, yes. So that's as far as I know what about her outside of Tessa Thompson's amazing performance over in the MCU. So. Going into Valkyrie, I'm like, okay, going into this, I was like, okay, well, I don't know a lot about Valkyrie, but I do know that I love them in actual mythology. So I'm like, okay, let's see what this is. And then I was like, Jane Foster. And I was like, oh, it's Jane. She's a she's Valkyrie now? I just thought she was Thor, but now she gets to be Valkyrie too. It's just like, oh, this is amazing. And then I, my only information about Sentry was from the mobile game Marvel Contest of Champions, and I can still confidently say, I don't know anything about him, nor do I care. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that leads me to something I was going wanting to ask all of you guys, is where, what is your guys' relationship with Jane Foster? I know I fell in love with her during that tragic time that she had as Thor. Um, you know, just the personal struggle that she went through to actually be Thor, and the risk she put her body at with was just heartbreaking. I know I followed her through Valkyrie, especially early on in the run, they had a arc where death was dying because everybody kept coming back because of the green door being open and the Krakoan resurrection protocols. And in that story, it featured some great X-Men adjacent characters um, like Mannequin from Alpha Flight and Excalibur from MI-13. So that's kind of like my relationship with Jane Foster. What's your guys' relationship with Jane Foster? I was raised in a house where my father's favorite... So, you know, everyone knows my, my thing is Gene and Daredevil. My dad's thing was... Thor and Wolverine. I don't want to fucking hear a word from anyone. So uh, growing up, my dad was super into Thor and my mom's name is Jane. So my dad was Thor and he had his Jane. And so I grew up very attached to this character. And, you know, when you don't have access to 400 issues of Thor, you have access to little books that say, oh, this was that person's love interest. And, you know, sort of like the printed wikis that used to get printed before wiki was wiki. And I was told that Jane Foster was such a big deal in the Marvel Universe and I come to find she's actually got like less than 200 appearances all said and done like serious and it really was a combination of J. Michael Straczynski initially in his Thor run followed by Jason Aaron that really elevated her uh, she actually did get a really cool moment in Civil War by Mark Millar that was another thing that helped remind people she existed and my relationship with Jane Thor is I actually prefer Jane as Thor and prefer Thor as Odinson and I would would rather him have Yarnborn because it's like the coolest fucking weapon in the history of the world. I don't mind when Doctor Strange has it, which is cool. Uh, it was really great when I saw Doctor Strange guest star in All New Wolverine, which I'm rereading uh, to have read the whole thing. I've read bits, but now I'm reading the whole thing. When he appeared in that, he had Yarnborn, which made me very happy. But I, uh, I, I think Jane is the superior Thor. That's that's that. I think Jane's the better Thor. It's just agree. It's that's just when science. I, that's when I started reading Thor. Just Jane. What about Dorothy, guys? I. I keep trying to read Thor, but I keep getting distracted. So <laughs> I haven't really had a lot of experience with Jane at this point, other than what's appeared in the MCU. Okay. <clears throat> I I have no exposure to Jane Foster outside of the MCU. Um, so it's pretty much just Natalie Borman or Bust for me. 
I am familiar with her time as uh, Thor, uh, Lady Thor, Thor, um, just Thor, Thor, why not? Um, (laughs) But, you know, I I don't have any comics relation to the character, if that makes sense. No, 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 absolutely, it makes sense. But the Natalie Portman version is a pretty good uh, pre-Thor Jane Foster kind of representation, I think. The main plot of the book sort of jockeys back and forth between Jane ferrying Sentry to Valhalla and our unnamed Valkyrie in her situation where she's in. With Sentry being at peace at his death, he remembers very specific times he had made his wife laugh until she peed which I thought was a little okay uh knowing that Sentry will most likely not stay dead in the long run did this extra characterization help us understand the character more than we had before I still really don't know who Sentry is but at least I can relate to him as a human who has superpowers now I really don't understand his whole purpose in this event (laughs) other than to get killed and for Jane to uh, walk him towards Valhalla. Well, I think his purpose was meant to show how big of a threat Null was. Uh, from gathering the context clues of what they talked about, Carnage at one point was fused with one of the dragons and was nearly indestructible, and Sentry was the one who had to defeat him. And apparently from Sentry defeating him, Null hatched a plan that was like, Sentry can't, Sentry's going to die. I'm going to murder this man. And um, what had happened was, I think the Avengers were counting on Sentry again because they knew how effective he was against Carnage as a dragon symbiote. That they were like, well, this this is one of our last options. He has to succeed, and to see him lose so easily. I think was meant to induce despair and feelings of like, oh, this is a much, much, much huger threat than what the Avengers initially anticipated. I'm completely with Jonah on that. So in case anybody's never heard me do the spiel, I have it down to an elevator pitch. In the mid-90s, Wizard Magazine and Marvel created a character by introducing him in Letters to Wizard, which was a column that would feature letters from fans of the comic book magazine Wizard. And they all started talking about how they remember their dads and their granddads had copies of this early Marvel character, the Sentry. How come no one ever talks about him and why can't we find our copies? You find out it's meta magic where the Sentry had to be erased because the Sentry was connected to his perfect balance. The Sentry had the power of a million million suns and the void had the equal power of darkness so anytime the sentry became strong enough to defeat a bad guy the sentry became strong enough to defeat sorry the void became strong enough to defeat the sentry so this character was written out of existence in a meta way oh you know it took dr strange and xavier and reed richards and tony stark and bruce banner all working together to erase him from time so that everybody could be safe and he was reintroduced in New Avengers, where he was actually his alter ego in a mental institution, which was how they hid the sentry from him, locked it away in his own mind. Come to find out, he had not been given these powers as a great gift. He had been a low-level drug addict, the petty thief, who stole a formula that gave him powers and made him feel a responsibility to a greater good. He has now spent the rest of his life, you know, struggling with that darkness, but they've always said that the void is true, pure darkness darkness they have always said that the void comes from the darkest most evil places in the universe i actually think part of it was because by saying that the darkness you know your void worships me right it bows down to me i think 
part of what they were establishing is that Null is such a dangerous threat because Null has been here this whole time in all of the darkness we see everywhere. Null is the darkness in Venom. Null is the darkness in the Void. Null is probably going to be some darkness at the depths of the sea. And Null is probably going to be revealed to be some darkness in the realm of death in Valkyrie. So, you know, I think it was really establishing a sense of you'll never escape this impending doom. Oh, that brings up an interesting question I hadn't even thought about. Like, what do you guys think that there is some connection between Null and the Shadow King, who's pretty much the darkness that lives in our minds? Huh. Oh. You know, in that way that I think a lot of stuff sources, I could see it. I think that's a different plane. Personally, I think that the the difference between the darkness that exists inside of the soul and the darkness that exists inside of the mind are, are, and I could just be splitting hairs, but I feel like there is a fine difference. And so in that way, I feel like, you know, because part of what I, you know, they, they already just introduced such an OP character in the century, you know, just to have him completely wiped off the table. He was plan B, you know, and he was completely quote unquote nullified. So <laughs> I, I feel like, I am a little hesitant to give Null too much more credit at this point. If he's already taking out the big guns, I don't want, you know, now Shadow King as he's being reintroduced in Vita Ayala's takeover of New Mutants, I would be hesitant to see his stature eclipsed by, sure, Null is greater than all things, but he can't be too great because at some point the the polarity flips and his interest becomes less. So uh, the story switches between narrators, between Jane and the unnamed Valkyrie. Did we like that choice? Did we think that really got us a chance to know this unnamed Valkyrie? Do we think that they really didn't give us enough of the unnamed Valkyrie and too much Jane? Where are you guys on that? I think it actually was a good continuation of a pacing style introduced in the first two issues of King and Black. King and Black, number one, more than the, the follow-up issue, had a lot of splitting the narrative between Eddie, between Cap and Tony, between between the the son of Eddie Dillon. Uh, so I feel like, and there were a lot of instances in which a line would literally pick up and then another character would jump on with the final word. And so in that way, it felt like there was, because outside of the, the established reality of King and Black, outside of the established playing field of Earth, it's a little hard to get the sense of how much time is or is not passing. And in some sense, this gave me a semblance of urgency for me it was a little confusing it took me a couple read-throughs before i really understood what was happening i can't explain it to be honest i just had a really difficult time parsing the the changes in in voice every time we move between the different characters and if I can, I actually think that's the nature of comics at this point, and it's something that I'm noticing in my reading a lot more. I don't blame people now when they say to me, I'm going to wait for the omnibus. Like, I used to get really pissed off, and I used to be like, but then there will never be an omnibus. <laughs> and, like, I would get, like, real angry. I'd be like, no, if you don't support it now, you can't support it later. They're going to take it out of print. No one's going to want it, right? So, like, I see now, though, why people are like, I got to wait for the end. I, I can't keep reading this in pieces. And there is a different experience if you were to read Valkyries 1 through ultimately 3 straight through, where you're going to get a sense of these 
these characters in a building momentum, sure, at this point, when you stopped reading, you would still know as much or as little as you knew if you stopped reading now. But because you'd have the additional pages, you'd have what comes further, it would retroactively make your understanding clearer. As you kept reading, what you understood would come more into focus with what you're learning then. And a comic book writer has to write for uh, for posterity, right? Because if you think about it this way, when a book comes out and it sells 35,000 copies, that's incredible. That first month it sold 35,000 copies. Now some number of those copies are going to get resold. And then there's going to be the trades and the hardcovers and the digitals and then Marvel Unlimited and Comixology Unlimited and Amazon. And now there's all of these ways for people to read these books forever. And now the hope is, even if only 35,000 people read Valkyrie's number one the week it came out, 3.5 million will read it over the next 10 years, right? So the idea then is to create a book that reads well and to create three issues that read really well together. But I really honestly often feels, feels, I really honestly often feel like that comes at the expense of understanding the individual issue week to week, month to month. I feel like knowing what I'll get out of it in the end sometimes leads writers to sacrifice the month-to-month enjoyment value. And I, too, sometimes find books confusing because they know how it's going to play out when all's said and done. And it doesn't always translate to the tender care that each issue needs to create a fulfilling, holistic experience for a new reader. To uh, make a reference to something that Nika will enjoy, it's kind of like when a chef is making a dish and... Their individual components are really good and they're enjoyable and you can like But you have to taste them all together. Sorry. You have to taste them all together. A lot of it, ha- it all has to mesh into something great. Every bite of that meal should have all of its components shine and work harmoniously together. If your issues are either individually good, but together they're kind of weird, like you can have good individual issues, but your overall story might not be strong, or your overall entire narrative might be amazing and it's a really great story you're telling you did it well, but your individual issues aren't standing up by themselves, you're going to run into problems where some people aren't going to want to wait for the entirety of the thing, or they're only going to wait for the entirety. And you're creating this kind of market where I don't think that's sustainable. When Jane looks at the Earth, we see the continuation of a theme we saw in King of Black 2, where Val Valkyrie's death sense is just going off like crazy. So her death sense is in full alert with the symbiote invasion. Do we think Jane did the right thing by not letting Sentry know how bad the severity of the situation is back in the real world? I mean, what can Sentry do? He's dead. And like, I don't mean that like, I I don't mean that disrespectful to transitioning spirit forms or anything, but what the fuck is Sentry going to do? I mean, perhaps maybe that is a key. Maybe Sentry, if he knew how bad things were, could make a deal with the Void and use that to get in. You know, a big thing in the second issue is using Extremis to hack a dragon. And then when Tony loses control and the hack fails, out of nowhere, Dylan's like, I fry you, dragon! (laughs) And everybody's like, well, this kid's a microwave. And everybody's kind of cool with it, right? And they're like, eight-year-old, you're a bomb now! (laughs) And that was a little fascinating. But I feel like... With this issue, right, you know, with your point of what if he did know how bad things were, a big theory that they keep bandying about is what if people get into Null's limitless power supply and fuck it from the inside? 
Perhaps Sentry, if he knew how bad things were, could have connected with Void and made a deal with Void to to make that kind of I'll you know I'll we'll switch places for a minute. But I don't know. Maybe Sentry can come into the the fight for the dead because it seems like the death the world of the dead really is going to need a hero right about now. When you said uh, "fuck it from the inside," the only thing that came <laughs> to my mind was when everybody theorized that Ant Man would just go up Thanos's ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no. that was that's... so. Do, do, okay, um, so yeah, I I do think that it was a good idea for Valkyrie to not let Sentry know what was going on in on Earth. Um, mostly because one, it's it's best to let the spirits of the dead not worry about their past lives. Um, and he's supposed he's supposed to be moving towards Valhalla, yeah. but we now also have death being corrupted by this corpse of a celestial. So I believe you mean the phrase is turning into a yarn S and M bondage queen. Okay, I will. I will uh, yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> yes that's exactly what's happening Uh, it's just like yoshi's fabric world but really really evil (laughs) okay okay i i I, okay (laughs) (laughs) go ahead i i feel like you know because we've seen on the cover of return of the valkyries two sentry is obviously continuing his role from this first issue as a central figure so in some sense i feel like there is there is something to be said about not telling sentry the impending fate of the world because in in one way as nico said yeah he's dead there's really ultimately nothing that he can do but as the marvel universe has proven time and time again death is really like we function on like dragon ball z rules here like when goku dies everyone's like oh that's a bummer he's gonna miss the picnic you know (laughs) but he'll be at the next one because that's kind of how this thing works you know so in in that sense i i wonder when sentry figures out what's going on but in in a way he also has to know he's sentry if sentry was just felled you know and he can physically see the the venom venomized yarn spool that was earth i i wouldn't say yeah they've got this we are introduced to a fascinating new valkyrie character at least i find her fascinating told through flashbacks in her celestial corpse hellscape that she's living in um she's first seen introduced in pretty much introduced in a almost like conan the barbarian type like savage avengers bar brawl where she's flirting with the barmaid and we starting to get little clues as to then that there's more stake than we know uh with the you are not dead that's a trap fight this um and when we are introduced to her lover alita where she talks about how this isn't that even though this is her first kiss she knows it's not real because she's not awkward they don't have the butterflies anymore um what do you guys think of this new character that we're introduced to it's tough when you're trying to find ways to balance the reality of the live action versions versus the classic versions and i think we saw a real struggle to get Nick Fury there, right? They introduced Nick Fury's son, who was mixed race, so he was a black man 
who was also named Nicholas J. Fury. Sure. And that didn't really land, I think, the way they expected it to. So we just got Ultimate Nick Fury. Just That just happened. You know, and I find that it can be so difficult to be like, no, Valkyrie was always a beautiful black woman. It's it's so hard to make that transition for Marvel that by giving us this alternate version of Valkyrie, who, you know, by the end, she's like, how do I say I was one of the original nine? They even found a way to be like, no, she's an original Valkyrie. Right. right? So we're going back to the beginning of Darkness to get Null, and we go back to the beginning of Death Warriors to get Valkyrie. And it really does work for me. I think she's really interesting. I think this is a better way to get the Tessa Thompson Valkyrie into the Marvel Universe than Valkyrie drinking a magical I'm Black potion. And I think that's at least a step in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. It, it makes more sense than the Exiles version they did. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I I, definitely think that there is... We, we're starting to see a parallel between this Valkyrie character that is introduced and the Tessa Thompson incarnation of Valkyrie that we're seeing. The only difference is here we're given at least explicit queer content, which is always nice to see, always refreshing to see uh, the inclusion of a queer romance, which unfortunately is still undermined by what we know is is the the love interest Alita, I believe her name was, uh, meeting an untimely fate as do the rest of the Valkyries because all the Valkyries seem to do is die lately. Uh, I I think that this is the inclusion of this unnamed Valkyrie character was probably the highlight of this issue for me. If if Sentry is no longer a figure, a central figure in the King and Black storyline, I am a little bit put off by this break in the flow of the narrative storytelling in having Jane Foster escort him to the afterlife to Valhalla. But I think that this this new unknown character poses uh, the most the most interesting potentiality for what's to come. I really enjoyed this new Valkyrie character, especially all of the callouts to Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie. Like how we first were introduced to Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie with her being pretty much drunk off her ass. Yes. Um, and and I, I got to agree with Maddie that I really enjoyed this very uh, explicit showing uh, that she is a queer character. So that, that made me happy to see. I definitely want to see her in the sequel miniseries that we're getting, Valkyrie, after this. Yes, yes. I hope. Yes, isn't it Valkyries? Isn't it Valkyries, plural? So, plural, yeah. So, Ooh, so very include her. I can see this miniseries going a little bit like the Fearless Defenders, where like it started off where it was Brunhilde and Misty Knight, and then the second issue, they brought Danny in, and they kept bringing in other characters on top of that. What do you guys think is the way that they are going to bring Danny Moonstar into the story? What would make sense? I think she should just be called by her magical nature. I unfortunately, you know, don't think that there's a lot that can be done when you only have three issues to make everything have great pacing and brilliant inclusion. <laughs> You've got, got 60 pages, motherfucker. Get those fucking people on the fucking panel. And so you kind of got to work to some extent to be like, oh, she's on Krakoa. She's going to see the death sense uh, out of nowhere. A giant horse is going to be like, hey, girl, you want to go to death? And she's going to be like, do I ever? And she's going to get on the horse and they're going to fly to death. And she's going to be there. I don't know that they have pacing room for a lot else. I have to agree with that. I think that Danny Moonstar will make 
make her appearance in this sometime before the three issues are up. But that said, I don't think that there is, as Nico pointed out, pacing room for her inclusion. It's just going to be her popping up. And as long as we get it, honestly, as long as we get more Danny Moonstar, I am uh, I'm in. Yeah, I I agree as well. Three issues definitely doesn't seem like it's going to be a lot to fit all of bringing Danny back into the Valkyrie fold, as well as resurrecting the rest of the the Valkyries. I mean, and for, completing this battle, and completing the battle, <laughs> and, and rescuing Sentry, <laughs> and rescuing Sentry, and escorting him to Valhalla. That's a lot to to do in three issues. So um, I hope it just runs over into the next miniseries they're just like we're not done hey guys overflow it happens you guys want outdoor seating we've got some valkyrie outdoor seating if you don't mind by the bar. um and does anybody have a history with a brunhilda valkyrie like does anybody hope secretly that she'll return i know that's my secret hope out of all this that they'll give us brunhilda valkyrie back as well and we'll have at least four of them so four of nine i mean it brings us a little bit closer to that magic number so sure, I'll take some Brunhilde inclusion. I mean, seeing seeing her get killed during War of the Realms, yeah, I'd definitely like to uh, see her come back because that just really sucked. Yeah, that was brutal. I was like, oh. And you know, I think one of the things about War of the Realms that always kind of gets my attention is I really do feel like Marvel blew past it really fast. It was celebrated, but like the omnibus edition of the event that ended earlier this year, the omnibus edition came out in August of, I'm sorry, wow, that's already last year. Last year. The, the event came to a conclusion in January of 2020. The omnibus came out in August of 2020. And in January of 2021, it's out of print. Wow. So it really feels like Marvel did King, King. Really feels like Marvel did War of Realms uh, a real disservice in terms of giving it the attention and longevity it deserves. So I would really love it if this book could get that going and get those characters a little bit more attention and bring them back. Jason Aaron's Thor run lasted a decade. You know, it, it was so many fucking volumes and so many titles and hammers. It was so many hammers. <laughs> and it was Quentin Quire with the Phoenix Force. And it was Wolverine. And it was so many things. So yeah, anything that brings a little bit more attention back to the brilliance of that run which received far too little respect for what it did. Yeah, I'm there. So, I really hope that we get some more insight into what's causing this... Well, I mean, I figure that the corruption of death is being caused by Null, but I hope that we see some kind of movement towards fixing that and or maybe restoring the the celestial or something i don't know i'm not <laughs> sure how i'm not sure how celestials work so <laughs> yeah. i'll be honest the celestials aren't really sure of it either they just sort of big <laughs> they sort of big they sort of big they just bigot things they just bigot you they bigot him they bigot everyone that's just sort of what they do they bigot things I am really interested to see how this is going to play with Eternals. Uh, Eternals just kind of did a re, you know, is restarting up with its new issues, talking about the Celestials. So, how is this going to affect them? The Eternals were created by the Celestials, and they said, oh, well, no, the, the hold on, wait. Yeah. They were created by the, the Celestials, yeah. right? Yeah. The Eternals yeah. and everything yeah. that we know in the Marvel Universe was at one point created by the, Celestial. the Celestials. Okay. I was right on that. And 
that was like, we, okay. <clears throat> I want to know how this is going to affect the Eternals, specifically because they were created by the Celestials as well as everything else, but it plays a huge role in their identity, so... I want to know, what does that mean for them to be like, Null basically captured them, took them over, and made them part of his army? I, it's It's got to mean something. Um, I, I know, just like as my final thought on the book, I'd love, I know we're never going to see this in this book, but I'd love to see a lot more of the resolution of some of the loose X-Men Asgardian ties. Obviously, we're going to get Danny Moonstar in it, so I, I'm really like psyched to see some of the loose ends wrapped up about her Valkyrie, and hopefully for her Valkyrie roots to continue. But I'd love to see more like exploration into like, like, you know, like Storm with the hammer that she had for a while. It's that weird Thor hammer that Dazzler has sitting in the back of her car, like just like while she's signing CDs. Like I, I'd love oh, some resolution to that. I saw that. Dazzler is A worthy. B just carries Mjolnir around. <laughs> it's, it's just in the back of her van while she's signing CDs. So like <laughs> I've been um, in a band and I've signed CDs after shows. And yes, you just keep your Thor hammer in the back. You keep your worthy weapon on hand. Yes, that's how it goes. I am curious to know where Return of the Valkyries is going to lead us in its short tenure before we get our upcoming Valkyrie series and how it's going to tie into the entirety of King and Black. King and Black, of course, only being two issues out of time for recording. I am excited to see the X-Men's upcoming inclusion, be it Danny Moonstar or a larger ensemble making an appearance. And I'm just excited for what's to come. Mm -hmm.